Today we're wrapping up our uh, series on Parenting by Grace, and I want to do that with, with this question. Why do kids of godly parents go astray? And to be honest with you, I, I don't know why people always say that, to be honest with you. Like other things I'm going to say may or may not be truthful, but when I say that, it means... I'm telling the truth. To be honest, I don't exactly know why uh, or what the answer to that question really is. I think there are probably a lot of different answers uh, depending on the homes. I do know that all through the Bible, all through Scripture, uh, we see kids that just walked away from God from some pretty extraordinary parents. Uh, People like Adam, Noah, Samuel, Eli, Daniel, David, others who were very devout. Um, And even today, I I know godly parents whose children have just gone the wrong way. Their life has just spun off in a completely different direction, and I don't know exactly why. I know sometimes the home is a little more religious than it is Christian, and kids just get huge doses of legalism and not spirituality, and they get done with that, and they see either the hypocrisy or there's a disconnect, there's something about that. They think, I I don't want that. That's not the only reason. I think there are a lot of different reasons. Uh, But there do seem to be some specific phases that uh, a typical child in mutiny will go through as as they step away. And we see all three of these in this story. We call the story the prodigal son. Now, I've always identified with this story uh, in a lot of ways, because I, I'm a prodigal, and I speak with the authority of experience as far as being the child. Some of you, many of you are elder brothers, okay? I was not righteous, and you were self-righteous. And isn't that a great way to start a message? Just by name-calling, and I always think that endears me to people. Um, but you, So you kind of know this experience of this story from one view or the other, um, but the, the, the big thing is, is that it, within this story, it should be really about called the story of the loving father because that's the main character. In Luke chapter 15, verse 11, it says, Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger one said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate. Give me my inheritance now. You probably, this dad's in maybe like mid-50s, and he's thinking, you're going to live 20, 30, 40 more years. <laughs> if you're J.O., you're going to live 50 more years. Uh, I, can you just go ahead and give me mine now? And he divided his property uh, between them. I think this is where we see this phase one, this beginning place in the separation, and that is with Rebellion. There are different kinds of rebellion. There are different degrees of rebellion. There's passive rebellion all the way up to just blatant open rebellion. And I think some of you guys, I'm just going to look at you guys and you guys particularly, but I know for a lot of us, there are stages or places within rebellion. Some of you just all out, I don't want any of it anymore, I'm leaving, and it's just a complete and total you know, rejection. For some, it's just pockets and areas and, and of your life that you keep to yourself or that you're in rebellion, particularly to your parents about. Or it could be to an authority figure, to a boss or, or you know, someone else uh, in your family. But I do know that in every 
parent-child relationship, there's a power struggle. And it starts on day one. The issue is, who's in control here? And you are at first, right? I mean, you are in complete control. Uh, because a child, a baby's just totally helpless. But as that, and this is a this is a good thing. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. Uh, and some parents think, well, I should be in con- total control, just like the day you were born until the day you leave my house. Parents, you're not. You, what you happens is, the child takes on more and more control of their life as they grow, and you release that control. So you have less and less, and they have more and more. And that's just, natural, that's just a natural thing. That's what you're doing, that you're raising them to be independent, not to be com- completely or even partially dependent on you for the rest of their lives. So th- that's kind of the, the idea. Uh, but sometimes what happens is a child wants more control more quickly and more completely than a parent's willing to give at different ages when it's inappropriate. So verse 12 is this classic confrontation. Father, give me my share. And what he's saying is, I'm out of here. If I could just run my own life. And how many of us haven't thought that? How many of you haven't gone to your bedroom and slammed the door or closed the door softly but still rebelliously and just thought, ah, my dad is just such a goof and my mom is clueless. And if they would just leave me alone and let me run my own life, it's my life. You know, we've, we've had those thoughts. I, I could do so much better with that. And we don't know how old this guy was. In my imagination, he's 17, 18, 19 years old, and he's ready to walk away from it. I was a prodigal. I started drinking a little bit at age 12. I figured that was plenty old enough. And then by 13, I'm getting high. And, I'm th- you know, if you're a guest, you're thinking, this is your pastor? Ooh, that's not good. And I was, I was a prodigal from about, let's say, 13 um, until 19. So what is that, like six years? And uh, my parents were prodigals. They, you know, it was kind of hard to come home because they're like, oh, you're back or did you leave? We're not really sure. You know, they're kind of having their own issues. So I ended up on the doorstep of a guy who's actually in this room today. And this is the craziest thing. His name's Toby Everett. He was my first, I'm going to get choked up. Um, Okay, pulling myself together. He was my first youth pastor and I showed up at his house um, and, and Fraser in Memphis, Tennessee, and said, you know, I'm ready to come home. I'm ready to come back to the Lord. And he began to mentor me and walk me through things. He and his wife, Janet, were very, very special in my life uh, back then. And I'm so glad that he's still alive and still here uh, with us. So, uh, no, he can't hear a word I'm saying. Don't worry. It's okay. Um, <clears throat> so I know what it was like to be a prodigal and to kind of just run my own life. And that worked, let me just tell you, and this is sarcasm in case you don't get it, that worked really, really, really well I, Okay, um, for, for me. But I just wanted to do as I please. In verse 13, it says, Not long after the younger son got all that he had together and set off for a distant country, and there he squandered all his wealth and wild living. Now, when it says distant country, immediately we think geographically. You know, we think, okay, he moved from here all the way over to here, just to kind of put some space between. It doesn't have to be distance like that. You know, um, I only moved maybe five miles away from my parents, but it was a distant country. What this talks about is he was moving out from under the influence of his parents' faith. 
And by doing that, he had to get out of this culture of Judaism and this Jewish faith. So what that infers is he went to a place that didn't have the same values, didn't have the same religion. He left. He wanted to get away from that so he could do as he pleased. So he goes and uh, takes off, ends up in Sin City in this distant country. And he's cruising down the, the boulevard. He's got money. He's got opportunity. He has freedom. So he buys himself a brand new Camelac <laughs> or maybe a Camelero. Or I don't know how much he had in resources. He could have gotten a Campbell, a Camel Borghini. I don't know. Um, I can keep going. I can keep. Okay, but you get the idea. He was well resourced, at least for now. And uh, he's partying, having a great time. He's thinking, I'm done. I'm gone. I'm on my own. This is a beautiful thing. So, what do you do when your child makes that decision? Now, this is not when they're 12 years old and you think, well, I guess when they're 12, it's just they want to do it. I think, no, 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 no. Not when they're 12, but when they're. 18, 19, 20, 21, 22 years old, and they decide to make this decision. Well, here's a few things that I'm going to suggest. First of all, you're not going to like any of these, okay? Particularly the last one. Um, Just let them go. The Bible says he set off for a distant country. And notice the next verse didn't say, and his father chased after him. And his mother said, oh, baby, look, you forgot your sweater, and I'm coming with you, you know. And she ends up there in the, you know, yeah, I, yeah I'm in rebellion, I'm here, I've been invited to the party. This is my mom, <laughs> and, and she's kind of hanging out too. No, he just let them go. He released them from birth. We're preparing our kids to go. This is the moment. And it's the hardest thing in parenting to know when And how much to let go? So when do you let them go and how much? I don't know. I I know this. If my children had come to me, this is me, not the guy in the story, because he's a perfect father. But if my child had come to me at 18 and said, Dad, give me my inheritance. I can't wait for you to die. I know you don't have a lot, but I want it and I want it now. There's no way I'd have said, well, we didn't expect it to work out this way, but okay, son. No. I just look at him and say, no. <laughs> no way. Are you crazy? If you want to leave, go. But you know what you can take with you? Nothing. <laughs> and then I go into my speech. I loved making this speech when all my kids, I have one child that's going to be there for two more weeks, and then I launched this last arrow. Um, but they would always say, this is my room. And i go, oh, no, no, this is not your room. This whole house is mine. I can show you the day. It belongs to me. I'm letting you stay in one of my rooms. <laughs> and that bed, that's my bed. Everything. You know, I just made them feel terrible. I was like, you own nothing. <laughs> it's all mine. Okay. Um, I was a good dad. I was a good dad. Um, but the idea here, you just let them go. And I, I would have said no. Because, you know what I think? For a certain time in your child's life, remember we talked about, and I know some of you agreed and disagreed with what kinds of discipline when they're little. I included banking in my repertoire, and some of you, you know, I, I get that. But as they get older, you know, what? One, one of the tools we use, the leverage we have, money, 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 you know, because we can control, well, then I'm not going to, I'm cutting your cell phone off. <gasps> well, I'm not going to buy you this. I'm not going to fund this. I'm not going to pay for that. I'm not going to do that. Money is a great leverage. There comes a point, though, when you can't keep using money to manipulate your adult child's behavior. 
Okay, you can't buy them, you know, and I know you don't like that, but that's the deal. You can't just keep doing that. I'm sure this seemed foolish to the father, and he no doubt tried to reason with his son. Can you just see him following him to his room? Son, think about this. What are you going, you know, and just, and trying to talk to him, and the son just like puts on his headphones, metaphorically, and, you know, and just, and just wouldn't, wouldn't listen. He's determined to leave. Sometimes, guys, parents, sometimes the tighter you try to hold on to your kids, the more they want to push you back. And I know it hurts. So at some point, just let them go. And then you let them make their own mistakes. Luke 15 says he squandered his wealth in wild living. And that is so awesome. And I remember this. I moved out because my dad made me, when I turned 18, my dad said, you've got to pay room and board. That's the only thing in my life I wasn't paying for up to that point. I'm not trying to sound whiny or hard luck kind of story, but I was really almost financially independent like at 17. But at 18, Dad said, okay, you're paying for all your other stuff. Now you've got to pay room and board to live here. And I did that for a little while, but then the thought hit me. Why am I staying here and paying all this and living under his authority and his rules? I'm not going to do that. So I left. And you go to a friend's house, you go somewhere else, and you think, woo-hoo-hoo, you know, and it was, it was a party. And you just do whatever you want to do. There's nobody standing over you. That's where this guy is. And you know he's going to make a lot of mistakes. I mean, he tries everything that was prohibited at home. He throws out his parents' value system. He totally rejects his upbringing. He wastes his life. Because here's the deal. Rebellion is always waste. Rebellion is always waste, uh, however you want to paint that. Uh, and do you think his father knew? He thought, yeah, he knew he's, you're going to waste. You're going to waste all that money. And I've worked hours and hours and hours, and I've built up this business, and we've got this farm and this ranch and all of this. You're just going to throw it away. Yeah, the dad, the dad knew that. Without a doubt, he knew his, head, his son was headed for trouble. But the father realized there are some things... We only learn through pain. Now look at some of these huge moments in my life. It comes on the heels of great pain. And God has said, Dan, it doesn't seem like you're going to get this any other way. I'm just going to let you fall in this hole and it's going to hurt, but I don't know what else to do. So sometimes you're going to have to let your children be stubborn and go through the school of hard knocks. I know it's risky. I know that. And I know maybe even some of you in your mind right now, you're thinking, eh, I don't really want to do that. I really don't want to do that because they're going to, oh, my baby. I know, I know, but it's a risk. Proverbs 20, verse 30 says, sometimes it takes a painful situation to make us change our ways. And God has used, I mean, hadn't he done that? I mean, how many of you say, oh, yeah, <laughs> that verse is true. You know it because it happened in your life. I know it because it happened in my life. God said, are you hurting enough? And I go, yes, I don't want to, I don't like this. This is not, this is not at all what I, what I thought. So yeah, you, you kind of got to let them, let them go through that. Um, because every time you take responsibility for your children, you're taking responsibility away from them. You see, now you've assumed that, inappropriately, you've taken on the responsibility for their actions, behaviors, consequences, and you've rescued them again. You've taken it on yourself, and they walk away. There's really, in, in, in six months or a year, in two years, they look back and go, well, that wasn't so bad. You see what's happening? 
You're not equipping them uh, for other things that are coming in life. Now, one other idea about that is that you let them, and this is the one I, I, I think you're not going to like, you let them reap the consequences of their decisions. It says, after he spent all, he began to be in need. Now, it could have happened that the father heard about that and thought, I'm going to wire him some money. I'm just going to send him a little to get him through because it's, it's tired. I know it's, you know, it's Christmas. You know, they didn't have Christmas yet. But, uh, you know, uh, but you, you get the idea, you know, he, and I've seen that. I've seen it in Ridiculous. We were on a spring break trip once. I was a youth minister for, for many years. And there was one guy, he brought more money than every other child put together. You know, just, you know, there's always that one kid in the youth group. Which one of you is it? It's, it's, no. Uh, but he brought like, uh, and this was back in the day, but he had like a hundred bucks. And by the second day, he spent it. And I'm like, what? You know, because your meals are provided, your activities are provided, your room is provided. You could, you could literally live and get by fine without spending anything. But most parents send money for, you know, like a milkshake or, you know, to get a burrito or something. <laughs> burrito. <laughs> what, I always look, I go to the beach, I love a good burrito. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm not a good illustrator. But um, this guy spent all his money. His dad wired him a hundred more dollars. And all the counselors were all sitting around going, ah, 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 you know, who's, you know, what are you doing? Okay, you get the idea, you think, oh my goodness. And some of you are doing that in bigger scales and in bigger ways. All right, you got to let them reap that. Here's, here's what it says in verse 14. After he had spent everything, a severe famine uh, came into the whole country and he began to be in need. He went out and hired himself out. He takes this below entry level position. Um, to a citizen of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he longed, he, he craved these little pods that he was feeding the pigs. I mean, how low you get, you look over and go, that looks pretty good. <laughs> He's hungry. Uh, and he says, no one gave him anything to eat. He's finally hit bottom. He's hard times. Um, the party's over. He's broke. And you know what happens when you get broke? Your friends bail on you. If that was the glue that was holding you together, that you're the guy buying the drinks or you're the guy providing this or that, it's your flat screen everybody's watching, you know, uh, when all that goes away, they're, uh, see, uh, you know, trust me, that's going to happen. I know you think you're so charming and wonderful, but um, he, he figures this out. All his friends are gone. He's all alone. He's in this humiliating position. And I know his parents probably heard about that and think, oh, little, little Mashi, you know, he's, he's suffering and I, can't, I just can't stand it. But, and, I know, and they probably felt personally humiliated. I mean, here's their son. I mean, you don't get any lower than slopping pigs if you're a kosher Jew. I mean, you just see how just the ridiculousness of that. You were considered unsanitary, unwelcome, unwanted in society. So every report that they got back about their child just made them want to die inside. It was just like a knife in their heart. They're embarrassed. And you know they felt that self-condemnation that a lot of us as parents, when you look at each other and go, where did we go wrong? Where did we go wrong? And you ask that question, and the enemy fills that question uh, with his presence because he wants you to feel condemned. And the fact is, a lot of us make mistakes as parents. 
You're not the only influence in your child's life, and your child makes choices, and their friends influence them, uh, and, and they begin to listen to them and to others, and maybe there's teachers or just ungodly people in their life who sometimes, so what I'm saying, I'm not going to totally let you off the hook, but I'm going to say this, and I hope you take a deep breath and just be relieved. It's not all your fault. So stop beating yourself up about this again and again and again. And don't give in to the temptation when they hit bottom and when things are hard and they're crying uh, to intervene, to bail them out. You're not loving your children. You know, this father knew that life has a way of disciplining all of us, especially our kids, in a way that we will never be able to discipline. So don't short-circuit those natural consequences by rescuing your children, and then you've cut off what God says. You know, and then you go back and you pray, oh, Lord, and God says, well, I was working on it. <laughs> and you jumped in and, and changed things. And some of you are thinking, stop, tell it, don't tell my parents that. Uh, well, okay, too late. Um, the second phase they go into is sort of like a reconsideration, you know, a reevaluation of where they are. This next verse says, when he, and I love this phrase, he came to his senses. He had this, aha, kind of a moment. And he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare, and I'm sitting here starving to death? I will set out, I'll go back to my father, and I'll say to him, and I think as he thought this, this cloud began to lift. There began to be this hope in his heart again. And so he starts rehearsing this speech. Father, I've sinned against heaven, and I've sinned against you. He didn't say, I misspoke. <laughs> I made an error in judgment. Now, he didn't, you know, dilly-dally around. He didn't, he didn't try to sugarcoat it. He just said, you know what? I sinned. I've sinned against God, and I've sinned against you. He just called it as it was. And he said, I'm no longer even worthy to be called your son. I don't even want to hope for that. Uh, but if you could give me a job, I'd really appreciate it. Just entry level. I'll do, I'll do anything. I can do anything. And look at this change in attitude in this guy. He leaves home saying, give me. Just give me mine. And he comes back going, just make me. Make me. Do whatever you want. So this is where he is. And he comes back. He's facing the facts now. He knows, I have made a mess of my life. I'm feeding pigs. I mean, here I'm sitting. I've lost everything. I don't have anything. He's got all these regrets. He's in a pig pen. He gets up, and he realizes, man, this place stinks. What, you know, everybody's got a better life than me. You know, the thing is, Sometimes, some people, and all of us, I, I think, we don't change until we get desperate, right? You don't change until push comes to shove, and you're in a, you're in a tight place. As long as you've got a little bit of resource or something, you're going to keep going. Then it gets desperate. Uh, and some of your kids are just not desperate enough yet. Now, some children, uh, it, it doesn't take a lot for them to learn. Some are very compliant, and they go, I get it, I get it. You know, they don't have a real high tolerance for pain or separation. And they go, okay, I'm, I'm back. Uh, some have to crash, uh, hit rock bottom, and then they get a shovel and start digging. You know, it is just kind of like, 
how far are you going to go down? Um, and some of us are like that. You had Some of you had to be bonked on the head before, you know, God could get your attention. So this, that's where this guy is, and he begins to go through this reevaluation of his life. He starts looking around, and he enters into this phase of repentance. And I think this is a crucial ingredient. If you, stop, if you shortcut this before your child can genuinely repent, they're gonna, it's just a matter of time. They're going to go back to those behaviors. But repentance changes everything. Because we become a different person. We become somebody new. He says, I'm going back home. He has this change of heart. And I love the fact that he takes action. He doesn't just keep sitting there. He gets up. So what do you do while all that's going on? And some of you are living there right now. Your child's still away. They're not at that place of repentance yet. You think, well, what what do we do? Well, uh, the most obvious, I think, is to pray. Never stop praying. Pray, pray, pray for your children. Our kids are under the attack of their own flesh, the world system, and the devil. And you've got to pray, and you've got to guard. I didn't find out, you know, for all those years, I didn't even know some of the people who were praying for me uh, in my life. One of those would be my future wife's mother, Kathy's mom. Um, When we got married, pulled me aside, and she said, I didn't even know you. But ever since Kathy was born, I started praying for her future husband that God would protect and guide and speak. And I thought, here's this lady down in Coldwater, Mississippi, and she's praying for me my whole life. And then later she would show me in her Bible times that when she did know me, she would say, my name would be written above a scripture, and maybe she would circle the reference. Listen, go ahead and start now praying for your children, praying for their friends, and praying for their mates. I have an eight- or nine-month-old grandson, you know, and I'm praying for his wife. I prayed for his wife last night. I pray for his little friends. He's becoming friends with some of your children. Oh, my goodness, I'm just praying for him. <laughs> just kidding. Uh, okay, but I know that's hard, that's hard for you to do. Pray, commit them to God. Uh, it's comforting me as a parent to know not all this is under my control, not all this is on me. God, God says, Dan, I've still got a job. I'm still here. So uh, commit them to the Lord and say, God, they're, they're yours. At the end of the day, they're not even my child. They're really yours. They're just on loan. And then just wait patiently. And I get it. I know that's hard. Wait and wait and wait. And for sometimes it's a long, long time. And there's always going to be a waiting period. And some of you are in that now. But don't get tired. Don't get frustrated and jump in and short-circuit God's natural discipline. And then... Hopefully, by God's grace, uh, after they've reevaluated their life and they've repented, there comes this return. They're ready to come back home. They're ready to come back home. So how do you handle that at that moment when they say, okay, I'm back? Just go, okay, good. You go back to your room. I mean, what do you do? Well, here's this. Look at this verse. In verse 20, it says, and this is the little phrase I like in this one, and so he got up. Some of you keep thinking about it and thinking about it and thinking about it, but you never get up. He got up, went back to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. And he ran to his son and threw his arms around him and kissed him. 
I just think that's beautiful. I love this. Remember, this is the ideal father. He's a perfect dad, and he does, he does like at least three things in here. And ideally, these are things that you might want to think about or to, to apply uh, when your child repents. First of all, love them wholeheartedly. Don't hold back. I know you've been hurt. And it's hard, and you think, okay, you can come home. But, you know, and you're, you're just even almost physically stepping back from them. You see, that's, that's like a, it's, it's not an overt rejection, but it's kind of a covert rejection. We'll talk about that in September. But you, you step back, you just kind of put, okay, well, you can come in, but, you know, and then you start laying out your conditions. When they come home, just love them. Risk another broken heart. His father saw him, was filled with compassion. No matter how far they fall, no matter how long you've waited, the door is open wide for reconciliation. And you love them faithfully. You love them completely. And you have this stubborn love for your child that will never give up. Never give up. You don't bail, out, bail them out in advance. You know, I said, don't, don't restrain yourself. Don't do that. But when they come home, you, you love them. You let them reap the consequences while they're gone, but then when they come back, you know, and that's tough love, and now it's just this open love. And you accept them unconditionally. Accept them completely. It says he ran out. I mean, the son's just back on the property. Well, the old place looks pretty good. And the father sees him, and it's, and it's in an unusual situation. The father, uh, you know, a, a Jewish man of his stature would never run. You just didn't do that. It, you just didn't. But he, he pulls up his robe, and he it's my boy. And, he can, oh. and you just see his heart, and he just runs to him. And he just loves him, and he throws out his arms, and he starts kissing him. And this word kissed is in, is in the tense. That means he repeatedly. He didn't just give him a little, hey, glad you're back, son. <clears throat> Good to see you, Dad. No, he's like went right past that handshake. He grabs him in this big bear hug, and he's just going, just like your mom did the first day of school. You know, and he's just kissing Dad, you know, and he's this guy's nasty. He's so dirty. Um, I mean, because his son's coming from the pig pen. Think about it. He just, you know, he just starts walking. He gets up, and he's got this gunk all over him. Uh, his hair's matted. He, he walks home several miles across the desert. He's sweaty, hadn't had a shower. I mean, he's just filthy. The dad just runs out and just grabs him and holds him close. He doesn't care. He doesn't care about all that because the language of love is always physical. It's always physical. And some of you dads who say, well, I'm just not like that. Well, you need to get like that. Okay? Well, I just don't, you know, I don't say, I don't say it. Say it. Do it. Be physical. Touch your kids. Hug your kids. Love your kids. I told you how my father-in-law was always touching me. And when I first started going over there, I'm like, what, dude, you know, then after a while, I started, I'm leaning in, like, touch me, <laughs> pat me, you know. I just, there's something wired, hardwired into our hearts that need that. So that's okay. Be, you know, touch your kids. Okay, I'm going to st- stop talking about that. But this, this son, he knows he's accepted. He starts getting it. 
And some of you may say, well, some of you legalists, you think, well, how can I accept them back into our home without lowering my standards? Oh, my goodness. Uh, You don't have to. Okay? Understand the difference between acceptance and approval. They understand it already. They know you don't approve. Jesus accepted the sinners, and that's what the Bible calls them, in his community. He accepted everybody. In fact, one of the things that he was most criticized about over everything else was he's, he's going over those He went to Zacchaeus' house. I wouldn't be caught dead in there. I wouldn't be seen hanging out with some of the people that he hangs out with. You know, some, some of the, uh, we have a blight in our city. I, I hate, it just, there's an adult bookstore. If you go out of the parking lot and go left, I don't know how it still stays in business because I think adult pornography would be enough that but somehow it's still down there. I don't like that. There's strip clubs down Alcoa Highway. You drive past them and you go pick up somebody at the airport and you come in. What is that? Oh, nothing. Don't look that way. Look at the mountains <laughs> in, in our city. And uh, some of the students here, some of the girls here uh, in our college ministry decided we're going to start taking meals to those strippers and we're going we're to give them some food and we're going to take care of them and we're going to do... You see, we start reaching out. It doesn't mean you accept the behavior. You think that's okay then? No. <laughs> we're going to love people. We're going to love people. Um, and, and that's what he loves his son. He doesn't approve of his lifestyle. Uh, but you can make it easier for them to admit when they're wrong. When your child shows up, you open that front door and there they are. Don't think, okay, well now I'm going to get a little revenge. Now you're going to jump through some hoops before you come back in here. Don't start with that. Don't just grab them and start loving them. Um, And make make the confession easier by accepting them. And here's the the son's confession. We saw him rehearse it. He says, Father, he starts into his speech. <clears throat> I have something to say. Maybe he gets out of a piece of paper. Father, I've sinned against heaven and, and, and against you, and I'm no longer the worthy to be called your son. And before he can take the next breath and keep going, the father's like, bah! you know, he, he won't even let him finish. He makes it easy for him to admit when he's wrong. He sees his heart, and he's gotten started. In this story, the father represents God, and he's a perfect dad, and, and he just he starts loving his, his son. And between some of you, there may be a moment when that reconciliation, when you not only make it easier, but you give. You know, I haven't been the dad I needed to be. I haven't been the mom that I should have been for you. And I just, I just, I just love you. And I, I apologize too. You see, and start with that kind of, a, that kind of a, a platform. Mutual confession and reconciliation. And just love them faithfully. And then forgive them completely. When you tell them all is forgiven, mean that. All is forgiven, except for a couple of things here that I'm always going to remember and I'm never going to forget. <laughs> you, can't, you just got to let it all go. It says, the father interrupts and he says, but the father said to his servant. He's like, yeah, that's great, son. You know, quick, bring the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet, bring the fatted calf and kill it. It's like, oh my goodness, he's going all out. And you only did this, you didn't even do it every year. It wasn't a, well, every year we kill the fatted calf. No, you do it every now and then for super special occasions. You know, like for a wedding or an anniversary, I mean, something big. He says, let's have a feast and celebrate. 
But this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost. He's found. And I just picture him saying this with tears. And these servants are a little uncomfortable because they've never seen him cry like this before. He's home. It's time to celebrate. Now the older brother's standing over here going, are you serious? And some of you are older brothers and sisters, right? And you know what it's like when your brother or sister messes up and you're going, I can't believe that, you know, and, and you, okay, that's another, another issue. But there's forgiveness. God never rubs it in. This has amazed me my whole, my whole Christian experience, my whole life. God never says, hey, Dan, tell me again about all that awful stuff you did and say you're sorry again. I mean, he never does that. He throws into the sea of forgetfulness. He didn't say, well, I told you so. I knew this was going to happen. I said, when you walked out that door, you're going to waste your life. He didn't go into all that. If he had, the son might have just gone, okay, it looks like nothing's changed here, and just walked back away again. He didn't do that. And I think that's what we're to do. Just forgive completely. Give them a second chance. Haven't you gotten second chances? Oh, my, I've gotten so many second chances. He gives him this robe. He says, bring forth the robe. The robe in Jewish culture is a symbol of family togetherness. He's saying, no, you're not one of my, I'm not hiring you. I'm not giving you a job. You're my son. You're back in this family. You're restored. You're in right standing. You're 100% in fellowship with us again. You're part of the bunch. You're, you're a member of this family. Your room's back there. And then he gave him this ring, and a ring was, and I actually have one on. It's a signet ring. It, 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 it's, a, it's a symbol of authority and of responsibility. He said, you know, put, he probably sold his when he got, you know, he pawned it when he got so you know, poor. But bring him a signet ring. And with that ring, the cool thing about that is a family well-known in this village and as prominent as they were, you just walk in to, you know, the Best Buy <laughs> or, or the, you know, the camel lot, you know, play, you know, to get a new camel, or wh- whatever it was, the market, and you, you want some vegetables, and you just show your ring. So, yeah, just put that on my. It's like the father said, oh, he's back home. Here, here here's, here's an American Express. Now, how many of you would do that? Your son just wasted all of your money. He just blew it all. And within five minutes of when he's home, you go, oh, here, you're going to need, you've got to get some new clothes, and here, here's my American Express. That's complete forgiveness. That's complete forgiveness. That's forgiveness with legs on it. So the father said, bring out the clothes, you know, get him dressed, get him showered, get him some credit cards, get him set back up. I know he's blown it, but he's also repented. That's complete forgiveness. He's restored to full relationship, full uh, family again. I think the father was wise in the way that he did this. He said, you know, you're going to put this ring on, you're going to put this robe on, and you're going to accept responsibility now for your life, and you're going to grow up. You're not on probation. We're not going to go back and, you, you know, you step into this. Because the Bible says we've all made mistakes. Every one of us have said at some point in place in our life, well, I want to be in control. I want to be my own boss. And then how did that work out? It produces worry and guilt and fear and bitterness and boredom and depression and stress and marriage problems and pressure and sexual problems and parenting problems and problems at work and problems at home, problems with addiction. You know, and we end up with just a bunch of people wanting to do our own thing without the help and the guidance and support of God, and we don't do it His way. 
But then he repents and he comes to God in honesty and sincerity and with this openness of heart. And so what does God do? He throws his arms open wide and he gives us a second chance. That's the good news. That's the good news. Now this story has a happy ending. The son is back home. The father did everything right. I know for some of you the jury is still out about your child. And we don't know how it's going to end up. I can't tell you this is the way it's going to play out. I know they're breaking your heart and that they've rejected everything that you hold dear. They've rejected your God. They've rejected you and that you're hurt. I know that. And I'm just going to tell you in your embarrassment and your anger and your bewilderment, you're asking each other, why? We gave them everything and we did this. And Just give that hurt to the Lord. Let Him shoulder that. God understands what it's like to have rebellious children. He's got me. <laughs> He's got some of you. He knows what it's like to have children. He knows just how you feel. So give him your hurt. Give him that pain. And to those of you who are teenagers and students, and I know in a couple of weeks or maybe in a week or two, this section is going to be filled back up with students. And we're a part of that process. We're a part of this ministry uh, to them. Some of you are in rebellion to your parents. And maybe you're in open rebellion completely. And if you had the money, you'd just you'd leave right now. But you can't because you know you get hungry and they'll take your phone or your car or whatever. So you don't rebel completely, but you would if you could. You know, have you ever thought, you know, this is my life and I'll do what I want? The thing is, it's just not true. It is everybody else's business. It's your family that you wish would butt out of your life, it's, it's their life too. And whether you're a teenager or an adult, for the rest of your life, everything you do will affect other people and have impact on them, especially the people who love you the most. And that's usually your family. What you do does matter. It's not just about you. It's about everybody else. I think there needs to be some reconciliation that happens. Most of you know, I had a brother. I was the older brother. I had a younger brother, seven years younger than me. When I was 19, I led him to Christ in our bedroom. Soon after that, I left, and, and he grew up, and he was Christian for a long time, and went through a horrible divorce that just pained him. Moved back home for like nine years with my mom and dad. My dad died, and he lived there with my mom. And my mom, God bless her, I love my mom, but she treated my brother like a teenager. And they lived like that. And I believe that she continued. She never made him face consequences. She always enabled him, always resourced him. So it was a real slippery, easy, easy slope for my brother to slide down. 
And one of the most unlikely guys for you to think this would ever happen to. But he, he started taking painkillers and one thing led to another. and um, He got addicted to drugs. And several years ago, one Sunday night, my little brother overdosed accidentally and died at age 42. My mother was devastated. 65 years old, she died six months later. I think she just gave up when he was out of her life. He was everything to her. Do your actions matter to other people? Is it just your life? No. What we do affects everyone around us. I still miss him. I wish my kids had an uncle and my grandson had him. I I wish these things. We could have done things differently. And I'm being more transparent than... I think he would still be here if we had done some things differently. I think things could have gone differently in his life. Parents, I hope you listen to this story and this advice today. But I know some of you are hurting, and I'm not here to heap condemnation on you by any means, but just to bring healing. And we want to come alongside you during this time. So I'm going to ask this. If if you have children who are in rebellion, I know it's incredibly humbling, but if you would, and we don't do this often, if you're a guest and you're thinking, oh my goodness, this church scares me to death. We don't make you step up a lot, but this this day, what if you just came and knelt and the rest of us just gathered around you and just let us join you in prayer and just pray for you and just pray over you and pray for your children that they would come home. Let us pray for that repentance and let us join you and have this mighty, this powerful prayer going for you and for them. Don't do this by yourself. That's why you're in a church. My goodness, that's why you're here. Not just to hear me talk or to sing songs or to go to classes. We're here to love each other and to support each other first. And then we can can do that together. And if you're a child of 15 or 50 and you're in rebellion, today would be an awesome day to come home. To come to yourself and to get up and come back home. Let us pray for you. I had a church. One of the first things I did, you know, I went, went to this little church, little Baptist church in North Memphis, and, and they just surrounded me and loved me. And I was a freak. Toby will tell you. I, I mean, I didn't fit in. I didn't look like everybody else in that church. But they hugged me and they loved me and gave me my first intern position in ministry. Toby drove me to Union University and said, I think you ought to go to this school. I think you need a Christian environment. And, and I'll take you there and show you around. And 
we're a church and we're here to help you. We're here to love you, whatever your background is. So you stand and let's just stand and let's just love each other. And if you're here and you're willing to pray over and support some of these folks, if they come forward, you come forward and, and let them know how much you love them. God, we give you this time and, and we begin to move forward today in Jesus' name. God, bless our prodigals and bless us. Bless the older brothers and sisters in this room who are full of self-righteousness. And God, I pray that those who are in rebellion would cease and surrender and come home. And God, bless these parents. Bless these parents in Jesus' name. Just...